This is the Business Owner Challenge with Brady Marlowe of Execso. As a business owner, you have unique financial challenges, especially when it comes to transitioning your company either internally or externally. In this podcast, we address income planning for complex situations, leadership and ownership transitions, succession planning, exit strategies, generational wealth, and more. And now with a combined three decades of experience as both business owners and financial planners, here are your hosts, certified exit planner Brady Marlowe and credited estate planner Rob Wellendorf to help you navigate those challenging financial and emotional decisions. Hello and welcome to the Business Owner Challenge podcast. I'm Brady Marlowe and back in the saddle with me this week is Rob Wellendorf. Good afternoon, Rob. Good afternoon, hello to all. I say back in the saddle or maybe back in the helm. We like to think that we're helping folks guide a a big ship out at sea uh, through the waves and uh, through the sunny days as well. Today we thought we'd talk about well, let's start with buy-sell agreements. So somebody often will come to us and say, well, I've done my exit plan, I have a buy-sell agreement, we're done. Uh, but as we think about other types of ownership arrangements, multiple owners, and that typically can be someone in operation, someone in sales, uh, you know, family, brothers and sisters, and that per- presents some unique continuity and succession challenges. We had an attorney in our office last week and he asked uh, some questions about valuations, a partner dispute that they were working on. And I think the first thing we both asked was, well, what's the shareholder agreement say? And he said, what shareholder agreement? Or (laughs) wasn't sure where it was located. So Rob, take us through the pitfalls and some things that jump into your mind when you think, gosh, we need a shareholder agreement to limit surprises as we move forward. Uh, Certainly. In fact, I'm gonna back up just for a moment and level set uh, maybe a few things, Brady. First and foremost, as we talk about shareholder agreements, uh, we need to be mindful of multiple owners, clearly, shareholder, shareholders, because when we have the single owner, uh, oftentimes these quote triggers, which we'll speak to, are not necessarily an issue because they have no one other than themselves to to take care of and make decisions for uh, and about. So we're talking about closely held businesses with multiple owners. Also to level set on documents, you mentioned buy sell. Uh, that is a document that's drafted and of course executed by the parties, drafted by the attorney uh, and essentially, uh, you and I are partners. Uh, let's say we're 50-50 owners in this S corporation. This agreement would essentially say, uh, at my death, my estate, my spouse, uh, uh, agrees to sell all of my ownership in ABC Concrete, the company we jointly own, uh, to you. Uh, I'm agreeing contractually to sell. And likewise, you are agreeing to buy. Uh, you know, at Rob's death, I will buy 100% of his ownership um, uh, and we'll do the transaction and I will not be, and I'm smiling, I'll not be a partner with Rob's spouse. Uh, I will have control 100% of the business. Again, the buy-sell is really focused on, on death. Uh, sometimes we'll see 
there'll be uh, some sort of recognition of say incapacity, for example, but most often it's, it's specific to death. You also mentioned the shareholder agreement. Now shareholder agreements, uh, in my opinion, now are addressing the multitude of other, uh, I'll say triggers, which is a common term, uh, that happen in real life and real case examples more so than, uh, than death. I, I've seen statistics as many as uh, uh, less than 4% of uh, buy-sell agreements actually are, are required to uh, be triggered and utilized, uh, which would indicate that this business uh, has a partner that's died unexpectedly so the other, say, 96%, 97% uh, triggers are examples such as uh, disability, uh, divorce, uh, discord between partners, and uh, I'll say retirement. It's often the retirement trigger. However, as we've talked before, I'm really not sure what the word retirement means. In this context for the shareholder agreement, I'll essentially uh, say that the situation is, again, you and I are partners. And I just look at you and say, Brady, I'm old, I'm tired, I've had enough, let's figure out how to get me out of this business. Uh, whether we call that a retirement trigger or not, essentially, it's a partner that just wants to be done. And it's not due to any discord or any health event. So I, again, I wanted to level set the buy-sell agreement, shareholder agreement, and the triggers. Do you think it's easier to go one by one through how we would structure those or maybe just a case study of uh, maybe a partner dispute that didn't have these triggers accounted for? Sure. Uh, again, perhaps maybe a little more general and then we can be specific both. And if I stray too much, as you've done so many times before, please pull me back. Will do. Pull me back. Uh, again, generally, I'll just reference perhaps some of the pitfalls that I have seen and observed uh, when looking at shareholder agreements um, specifically. The most common, we've talked about these triggers and we can be more specific, but the most common I would consider mistake or oversight would be related to the terms. So the trigger is essentially the event, uh, again, disability, discord, uh, you know, a, a partner being, uh, getting divorced, that would be the trigger. Then we need to read inside that document, what are the terms? Essentially saying, okay, the trigger has happened. How do we get this other partner out? And most often, if it's death, there's the conversation and discussion and the planning around life insurance, which clearly makes a lot of sense. It is a product in a way, of course, that creates oftentimes a large amount of cash immediately, uh, again, immediately following the death of the insured. However, when we look at the other larger percentage of, of triggers that will take place in the lives of these partners, these business owners, um, oftentimes the terms don't line up so well with the reality of the cash flow for the business. Now I will share a specific example. Uh, we had a client of ours uh, uh, had talked about this quote retirement trigger. He had a uh, partner that was about 12 years younger 
And like we see with so many successful businesses, it was really one of those inside person, outside person arrangements. Uh, the older gentleman was the outside person. This was a construction company and he was really supervising a multitude of projects, really supervising the supervisors. I should mention this was uh, well over a hundred million dollar revenue construction company. The inside guy really on the operations side and when the outside guy, our client said, I want to be done, he pointed to this shareholder agreement, which was a little aged, a little stale, and essentially the terms, as I'm describing, were 20% of the value of his ownership today, which was outlined as 90 days, and then the remaining balance over three years. So essentially, when we met with the younger partner and the CFO, we were talking about them, the company, buying for the 20%, writing a check for around $3.5 million, and then having the remaining obligation over those next 36 months. The look on their faces, they said, we just cannot do that. And everyone in the room knew they could not do that. So to me, and with the attorney and with the owners all collaborating, we need to make sure that the terms following the trigger are reasonable. They are, I'll say simply, they are doable. Uh, the, the type of business and the way that the cash flow works is such that we can meet those terms without any additional friction, pain, lawsuits. Now, just to give you the, the end of this story, uh, briefly, we were able to agree and come to a conclusion that the terms would be more realistic to be pushed out closer to seven or eight years. The company, of course, could always retire that, uh, that debt obligation, if you will, earlier than that, but it just seemed to make the most sense for the going concern of the business, and it worked fine financially and from a tax planning standpoint for our client who was pointing at that retirement paragraph. So would it be fair to say before drafting any of these terms, all parties should have a, a real sense and understanding of the cash flows and the future predictability of those because that really gets down to how, how would we make this happen? You're exactly right. I think the uh, attorney oftentimes will somewhat draft based on their experience. Mm -hmm. uh, and they certainly would have experience in these documents and certainly oftentimes in the industry. However, no two businesses, of course, are the same. So I highly recommend involving the financials person who would understand the cash flow and then have all of the owners before uh, executing that shareholder agreement understand why they've determine that those terms to be the way they're described in the document. How do we account for divorce? I'm guessing emotionally that can be a, a little trickier one. Um, starts to feel maybe like a, a prenup. Is there some ways to, to account for that without being maybe uh, so speculative that it might happen? Uh, sure. Let me ask a little follow-up question so I can understand the fact pattern. Is the shareholder agreement executed and in place at this time, or are we walking into the particular shareholder agreement? That's one item or fact that I'm curious about. 
Secondly, am I the partner that is getting married after the shareholder mm. agreement has been put into place? Or am I already married? Mm. Is it, it, <laughs> they all have different answers, I know. Yeah. Which one? Which one do you see as a bigger pitfall for people that people might be surprised by? I'll say what's most common, okay. and maybe we'll start there, and then we can look at other scenarios. You're exactly right. Mm. They're exponential examples. The mm. most common scenario are the business partners who have been partners for a number of years, and one of them uh, now is uh, getting divorced, going through the divorce. That's the most common uh, that I've seen over the years. And in those particular scenarios, we have to look at the value of the business. And I do want to spend some time talking about the value of the business because uh, these shareholder agreements will value them different ways. And there's pros and cons to the different ways that they are indeed valued. Just staying with this example of divorce, oftentimes the, let's say 50-50, the 50% business owner oftentimes would prefer to settle that divorce financially with the uh, decree and the, and, and the details around that by attempting to not disrupt the business. And oftentimes the attorneys will recognize that business is generating the cash, let's not disrupt it. However, uh, uh, the, the spouse or now ex, ex-spouse uh, deserves and, and should have uh, his or her fair share. Um, so it can be a little tricky, uh, but you know, if you, if you pulled the owner aside, the, the owner being divorced, they'll always want a very low valuation. Mm-hmm. Um, always want a low valuation because uh, again, not, I'm not suggesting necessarily that they don't want to be fair to their ex-spouse, but they do want to continue that business and not see it crippled. Sure. And, um, yeah, maybe that's an inherent discount that they're figuring in to say, gosh, if we're going to put some additional cash flow obligations on this business, who knows how involved that partner was as well. Obviously, there's going to be some disruption. Uh, so once again, valuations uh, depends on why we're using them, right? It's not a one size fits all. You're exactly right. And I want to speak to the, the value just a bit. Uh, because again, the shareholder agreement will often reference, you know, go to exhibit A, and that's where we'll identify the value of the particular business. Uh, So there's two typical uh, uh, ways that businesses are going to be, uh, the value is going to be referred to in this document, either a set value or a formula. Now the set value requires on an annual basis the owners to meet, to agree, to put the set value into the document and then both sign and date it. I'm smiling a little bit because time flies. And very often when we get involved and are reviewing those shareholder agreements, we will identify that they have not had a set value. Sometimes I've seen it as many as 12, 13 years was the last time they sat down and had agreed upon set value. So that clearly becomes the con or the potential negative. What we've seen in the drafting is if there's not a set value on an annual basis, then the drafting typically would default down to a formula. 
I'll speak to formulas as it relates to the second most common uh, way that these documents are, are drafted when you look at the value. Remember, you don't have your whiteboard, which you are a master at. Everybody's just listening here, so you're gonna have to paint your picture. Th th that's fair. I have on the left side, set value, which I just had been speaking to. Again, annual basis, agreed upon, signed off. On the right side of my whiteboard, thank you for that. We're talking about having a formula to be utilized for the value. Now, I've got a case right now where the formula says, in the document, 3.5 times EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. Okay, that is a formula that will stand the test of time. That can be calculated tomorrow and 30 years from now. That's the advantage of having a formula. Here's the disadvantage. This particular business has about a uh, $1.5 million in cash. When you look at the calculation of EBITDA, there's no accommodation for the cash. Certainly a shortcoming. Uh, the other value, uh, excuse me, formula that you see oftentimes is book value. Mm -hmm. And book value can have very similar shortcomings to this formula uh, with the EBITDA multiple that I just expressed. So, gosh, there's there's a lot here. I think we could almost do a whole nother show. As we wrap up, I think the message should be uh, plan for these other Ds, di divorce, discord, uh, between partners, disability, uh, retirement, let's say pivot date, we're all pivot. Uh, most people's retirement or I guess exit plan is not uh, face down at their desk. It's normally one of these other options, right? It's pivoting onto something else in life uh, through being forced to or by choice often. So, I mean, how often should we review shareholder agreements? Should it be as we're contemplating a change or does it make sense just to evaluate, gosh, has the landscape of where I envision things we're going and where they're at now. I mean, is there a, a time frame to, to review these documents or what would be a guideline there? Many of the attorneys that we work with are on the same page as we are and we would respond collectively about every three years. Uh, we believe the shareholder agreement ought to be looked at. The exception would be if there's any particular event uh, that would be significant. The triggers are, are obvious. We've talked plenty about those. However, I'm speaking to if there's an incredible uh, uh, trajectory and large expansion of the business in a short period of time, some sort of a significant uh, uh, acquisition or a potential merger is on the horizon, those would all be uh, situations where you'd want to review more frequently. I think that's a great place to end. Let's end on a high note. We so often think about the, the negative uh, pitfalls out there, but often it can be, wow, this thing really took off and went places where we couldn't imagine and we didn't quite account for that. So let's put some flexibility into those agreements. It, absolutely. If I could leave our listeners with one additional thought as you were tying this together, the importance and the need truly to collaborate with the attorney and the CPA and the financial person uh, to make sure that everyone is indeed synced up as these particular agreements are not only drafted, but ultimately executed and reviewed, uh, continues to speak to the power of uh, uh, collaboration and having multiple disciplines coming together. Well said. 
All right. Thank you, listeners, for being a part of our journey today. Uh, We look forward to speaking with you again soon. Rob, thank you. You're welcome. Take care, everyone. All right. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Business Owner Challenge. Don't leave your business transition to chance. Your family, employees, and community will benefit from a proactive written secession and exit plan. To find out how to start, please contact Brady Marlowe and Rob Willendorf at Execso. Call 402-991-1700 or visit them online at execso.com. All matters discussed during the show are for informational purposes only. Each individual situation may vary and the opinions expressed here may not apply to everyone. Materials presented are believed to be from reliable sources and no representations can be made as to its accuracy. All ideas and information should be discussed in detail with one of our qualified representatives prior to implementation. Advisory services offered through Exexo, registered investment advisor. Exexo and Cambridge are not affiliated. Securities offered through registered representatives of Cambridge Investment Research Inc. Broker-dealer, member FINRA SIPC.